Hey there, this is Nathan. Welcome to the Camden Haven Anglican Church Podcast. I'm glad you're making the time to listen to this week's teaching. I'll have more to say at the end, but for now, let's dive right in. All right, well done. Great effort for the great effort, big passage. It's great to be reading so much of Revelation, and we want to keep doing that because we want to hear what's going on and not, uh, not cut it down too much. But before I begin, I just need to say two things. First of all, uh, I'm meant to be Simon. Simon was meant to be preaching today, but we... Can I ask one more click? That's it. Uh, Simon was meant to be preaching today, but we decided that it would be not great for him to have kicked off everything last week at 9.30 and then be there and then rush back here today, if you know what I mean. And so he stayed over there, but then we recorded him earlier, but it didn't quite work, so I'm up. So you've got a second fiddle. Um, there is also, did make a little handout, if uh, anyone wants to follow that, that's mostly for DG's kids, but if you see one and you want one, you can grab it, no worries. All right, well, um, I, I would imagine, and I think you would agree, that one of the biggest criticisms that people who believe in God get regularly would be something like this, if there is a God, as you say, then why is the world the way it is? Uh, people might say, you say Jesus is Lord, which means you say he's in charge. Well, it just doesn't look like it, does it? I mean, we know you don't need to rehearse all the bits and pieces, but we know there is a bunch of stuff going on in the world today that would make us think maybe Jesus isn't in charge. We're asked that question, but even more, we ask that question ourselves, don't we? Well, I do. Sometimes I find myself saying, are you even there? Do you see what's happening? Do you not care? What's going on? It doesn't feel, Jesus, like you are Lord. And particularly for the believer... They're not only concerned about everything out there that's happening, but it would seem that the people of God historically over history to varying degrees and varying places have been the religious group most consistently persecuted over, that, over, over history. So it just doesn't feel, Jesus, like you're in control. Do you get it? Is Jesus Lord and in charge? Does it even look like it? I suppose the question we've got to ask ourselves is what does it look like when Jesus is in charge? We know what we think it ought to look like, but what does the Bible say it will look like in the world with Jesus in charge? And it's this passage of Revelation that was read to us so well that begins to answer that exact question. So where are we up to? Uh, we looked at chapters 4 and 5 last week, and that really gave us the point of view of heaven. Uh, there was, remember, there's the door, and we looked in the door, and we see a throne, and, and then it expanded out. There was 
uh, thrones around the throne and 24 elders and living creatures and then a great sea and then further out more there was uh, singing and there was every it was just it just panned right out to everything in all creation re- really zoomed back praising God and that's that picture there from heaven's perspective but what what our attention is drawn to it zooms all the way down it's fascinating isn't it that our attention is not drawn to necessarily the one sitting on the throne which you would think it should be drawn to but is drawn to a scroll in the hand of the one sitting on the throne what is this scroll John doesn't let us miss the focus on this scroll because he then begins to say, you need to focus on this and work out what it is because there's great weeping when no one is found to open it, great singing when someone is finally found to open it, and then when it's opened, the the rest of Revelation is about the opening of this scroll. Everything focuses down onto this scroll. So let me ask it again. What is this scroll? Uh, Some have said it's the shape of God's purposes for the future. That sounds important. Others have said it's the plan for blessing and justice. That sounds important. Still others said it is the secrets about human history. And that sounds important. And all of those are good. I think it's more, but I don't think I can communicate that more sufficiently. So I need to encourage you to give your minds to this today, to think about what is this scroll? What is it all about? And one of the things I found helpful in understanding or beginning to understand or articulate what it's all about was in chapter 5 and verse 7, where the focus went, it said, John says, he, the lamb, came to the throne and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. For me, this last couple of weeks, that was a revelation, (laughs) Real revelation. I went, oh, of course. What's going on? There's this picture of a a lamb approaching a throne and receiving something. Now, if you're thinking back into the Old Testament, you're thinking Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel has a vision of one like a son of man who approaches the ancient of days and receives all authority and power. Let me read it for you. It says this, he was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. There's that picture. He's going to the throne and receives this. And here we have a picture of a lamb going to the throne and receiving this. So what Daniel has said is also reflected in what Matthew says in Matthew chapter 28 when Jesus speaks and says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. So the scroll is John's way of showing the fulfillment of Daniel 7, but it's his way as well of saying what Matthew said in Matthew 28, that all authority and power belongs to Jesus. Now, I said before that um, what does it look like for Jesus to be in charge? And we're going to find the beginning to that an- of the answer in this passage. And I've got a hunch you're not going to like it. You're at least going to wrestle with it. So let's keep moving. The Lamb receives all authority, a scroll that has seven seals. It's though, think of those wax seals, seven of them on a scroll. Each one of them has to be broken before the scroll can be unrolled. True? Of course. What the lamb does is begins to open those, uh, to break those seals so that the scroll can be opened. So what we hear of when the seals are opened is not what is in the scroll. It's what we've got to understand about the scroll before we hear what's in it. Let me put it this way. We need to understand the context of a letter we receive to understand how we, receive, how we read that letter. So, once I received a letter and it said on it, it was from Strawberry Hills. And I thought, Strawberry Hills, that sounds like a wonderful place. The letter must be a really exciting letter. And those who are smiling, you've also received a letter from Strawberry Hills. And everyone else is going, what are they talking about? Well, you are the holy ones and we are the sinful ones. It's where they send you the speeding fines from Strawberry Hills. That letter wasn't mine, by the way, it was someone else's. I suppose what I'm... What I'm trying to say is that we need to understand these seals because this is the context for which the scroll will speak into. It is the situation that the scroll is speaking to. It is the context, not the content of the scroll. Is that okay? So as we're looking at these seals being opened, we're seeing a context for the scroll that we will hear of its contents uh, next week. The first four seals are open, and there are four horses, a white one, a red one, a black one, a pale one. The white one, white means conquering in Revelation. It also means purity, but it also means conquering. So here we've got a, a conqueror. We've got another horse. It's a red horse. This, this is a fiery red horse, and it's, and it's about war. The next one is a black horse, and it's famine. The next horse is a pale horse. It's the color of death. 
you know, when all of it's just, all the blood is drained out and there's this greyness that happens across your face. Death and disease. And in some sense, these horses are a progression, aren't they? Because uh, the uh, white one, which means conquering, is often related to tyrants, uh, autocrats, those sorts of people. And sort of flows from there then into war, and then war usually results in famine, and then famine results in death, those sorts of things. So you see a progression in these four horses. I ask you the question, would you say that we have seen what all of those horses represent today and in our history? Absolutely. Absolutely seen it. And here is the part that we won't like. Where do the horses come from? So if you watch the 8 o'clock service, you'll see Simon preaching on this passage and you'll see him put up four horses and it looks like they're coming out of hell because he asked AI, give me a picture of the four horses of the horsemen of the apocalypse. And AI thinks they're all coming from hell. Yet this passage says they're not hellish horses, they're actually from heaven. Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, the lamb opens, and then from them was given, given power, given a crown, given a sword, given this authority to wreak havoc. Here's the thing. What Revelation is saying is here's what it looks like when Jesus is in charge. told you you wouldn't like it. It's perplexing. The fifth seal is opened, and what John sees, uh, what verse is that? Uh, verse, verse 9. Uh, when the fifth seal is opened, John sees martyrs. It is those, faith, those who have been faithful to Jesus to the point of being killed, and they cry out, How long? Till you avenge our blood. So just notice something for a moment there. John sees Christians who have died in heaven and they're not going, Hi, it's all great here. They're saying, How long? How long until what? How long until you avenge our blood? It's important for us to understand the situation that the first century was in. And according to Rome, you could practice any religion you wanted to as long as you added to that practice that you would call the emperor Lord. All you had to do was just burn a little bit of incense and say Nero or Vespian or whatever the emperor was is Lord. But the one group of people who could not do that were Christians who believed that Jesus and Jesus alone is Lord and they would not and they did not want to compromise. And when they did not compromise, they were then killed or maybe less put in jail. So when John tells us about the martyrs who have been killed, those in the first century would have known their names. They would have said, yeah, like 
so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. I mean, we can think back. I, I think of martyrs like uh, Thomas Cramner, uh, Nicholas Ridley, Hugh Latimer. You're here because of them, by the way. If you don't know who they are, find out who they are. So the incredible thing here that as John sees and speaks to this first century church that's living under the shadow of the Roman throne, threatened, and he speaks of those under the altar, secure and yet waiting for the resurrection day. You would have continually lived under threat. And the question you would have asked yourself is, is Jesus Lord? The bigger question, uh, sorry, the question another way, is there a higher throne? Or have I got this Roman emperor, is that as high as it goes? And I've got to bow the knee to him. These martyrs are answered, and it's answered in a strange way. It says, well, have a little white robe. There you go. I think, uh, right, thanks. What's the story with the white robe? Well, what we already know is white means what? Conquering. Do you see what I'm saying? The world considers you as conquered, but I, heaven, Jesus, consider you as the conquerors. Super conquerors, in fact, overcoming all the other conquerors of the world. That would have been an amazing thing for them to see and to hear. They are also told to wait. And here you go. Imagine being told this. To wait until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Right. Thanks. This is what happens when Jesus is Lord. Christians get killed. But notice there that there's a time limit. There is, a, there is someone who is in charge. There is a full number. There is a time limit that this killing will happen. And then it will stop. And then the judgment day. You see, friends, what we need to realize is Jesus is Lord in the mess. There is purpose in the present mess. He is not there to blame for evil, but he is over evil. He has set time frames. He is Lord in the midst of the mess and can be trusted. Hence that sixth seal in verse 12 it's that picture of the final judgment day. Verse 15 says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Slave and free, rich and poor, no distinction. Instead of them standing, they are hiding, calling the mountains, foot to the mountains, fall on us. 
hide us, cover us from the lamb. The question there, shouting out loud, who can stand? And the answer to the question, who can stand, is found in chapter 7. When we get all these people listed out who are sealed or marked or tagged, whatever you want to call it. They are marked, and the idea there is God saying, these are mine. It's a sign of belonging. Okay, test. What was the mark or the sign of belonging in Egypt the night that the people were... Uh, headed out of uh, the people of uh, Israel, headed out of Egypt. What was the sign? A blood. That was a sign. A sign was there. Okay, good one. Uh, what was the sign that uh, the physical sign that they talk about a lot in the Old Testament and some of the New Testament that uh, uh, Israelites had, Israelite guys had? I've given that away. Circumcision is a sign, a sign of belonging. Uh, There is this story in Ezekiel chapter 9 where uh, God is really not happy with what's going on within the temple and he's going down to sort it out. But before he goes, uh, he's got six angels, all with swords. This is sort of picture language. And he's going to send these angels with swords to go and deal with everything. But he says, first of all, I need that little angel. There's this little angel. This little angel's got a little writing kit. Just imagine that. little writing kit and a pen. And they says, you go first and you put a mark on all the ones that belong to me, all the ones that have been faithful, and then the ones with the sword cannot take out the ones who've been marked. The pen is mightier than the sword, so to speak. So, so Israel was clear about marks that marked them out as being sealed and secure as God's people. Paul in Ephesians will talk about a mark that Christians have. And it is a seal he talks about in Ephesians. And it's the seal of the Holy Spirit. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You belong. You've had a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. So all of those pictures of signs, this sealing is John's way of saying all of that. See, what John does is says something we already know in a way that we've never seen before. So there's these all these 144,000. Uh, what do I believe the 144,000 are? I think that the 144,000, it is that whole idea of 12 times 12 times 1,000. 12 Old Testament tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. What does it represent? It represents the full number of Israelites being saved. From all of history, the perfect number of Israelites who will be saved. But what follows In verse 9, is John then sees a multitude, and they're wearing white robes, that no one could number. This represents, this multitude represents all Gentiles who have been saved. So we've got this perfect 
fulfillment of all that was planned, all the saved of Israel, all Israel who are truly Israel, Romans 9, if you want to check that out, and all of the people of God from the Gentiles, from the nations, from every tribe and language and tongue. And they're wearing white robes because they're conquerors. And what are they singing? Well, we know what they're singing. They're singing, We are the champions, my friends. Yeah, see, Ellen knows. That's exactly not what they're singing. Is it? They're not singing, na, 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 we're better than you. No, they're not, are they? They're singing, verse 10, salvation belongs to our God. That's what they're excited about. If you've become a Christian, you know because you sing that song. You say, ah, it's not about me. It's about him. Salvation belongs to our God and him who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. If you didn't get it the first time, John then repeats it for us. Verse 13, Then one of the elders asked, These in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? John says, Oh, well, you know. It's a good plan. The uh, answer there is in verse 14. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation, who've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, the great tribulation is just what's been described, the mess of the four horsemen and the persecution of the church, which Jesus is lord over. That is the tribulation that we're going through, that we're, that we're experiencing even today. Again, varying places to different degrees, varying Christians to different degrees, but still tribulation. Travis pointed out something really good uh, this week to me. He said, um, he said, see how the unbeliever calls for the mountains to cover them because we want to hide. But here, those in white robes, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. So, so what have you got over you? Is it fear, hiding, mountains, hide me? Or is it, Lord, cover me with your tent. Welcome me in. It says there, it goes on, Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the cent will be at the, cent at the center of the throne, will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. They have the lamb as their shepherd. Well, we know there's seven seals, and the seventh seal is opened, so the scroll can finally be read, and we'll hear about that next week. So where are you at? Are you an inquirer when it comes to Christianity? I hope you are. Like, I hope you can feel free to be here and, and be a part of this, to, to know the community, to feel the community, but to inquire to find out what, 
What is it about this bunch? (laughs) I suppose I want to ask you, if you're an inquirer, where will you find your confidence to face God? Because if your confidence, you believe, is in yourself, that you think, well, I'm good enough. He should let me in. He He should forgive me. That's his job. I think Queen Mary said that. Not the recent Queen Mary, sorry, the old one. (laughs) You need to respond to the invitation to find shelter under the tent of God, to be saved and shepherded by the lamb. Isn't that interesting? Do you ever see a lamb and think that's a shepherd? (laughs) But this shepherd is a lamb. So if you're inquiring, don't count on your goodness. Come to the Lamb who will wash you clean in his blood. Or maybe you're a drifter. Uh, It's very easy, I think, to get to see the world in all its messiness and begin to doubt that there is a God. I could ask for a show of hands. I'm imagining that everybody might put their hand up. Because at some time we've made thought, ah, is, is there really a God? Is Jesus really Lord? And maybe you've begun to drift. I suppose the question I'm going to ask you is, where are you going? Where are you drifting to? What better option have you got than to trust Jesus is Lord of the mess and be faithful? So turn around. Stop drifting and come back today. Or thirdly, maybe you're a believer. You know what this passage is saying to you? You're safe in the shadow of the Lord. There's a hymn that says this. Safe in the shadow of the Lord, beneath his hand and power. I trust in him. I trust in him. My fortress and my tower. Hi again, this is Nathan. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that we shared something that's helpful to you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little more about us, we are Camden Haven Anglican Church. We're a church that tries not to be too churchy and more relational. We meet every Sunday. We have four services at two locations. If you want to connect with us, you can find more about us on our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just send an email to info at havenanglican.com. If this teaching has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you wherever you are in the world. And we pray that we've helped you to grow a little more into Jesus today. See you next time.